The Seahawks kicked off their final phase of the offseason program with day one of their mandatory minicamp on Tuesday. What went down at the VMAC? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on this latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And I apologize to our viewers on YouTube. If I look even more pale than usual, you can thank the sunscreen. I had to have it on because I think I'm part vampire and the sun actually came out today and it was 70-something degrees. It was a bit of a shock to the system. Really nice weather, but... Just a heads up there why I might look a little bit pale. The sunscreen, I tried to get it off, but uh, it's still here. Anyway, moving back to football talk, we've got a jam-packed episode coming your way. Day one of mandatory minicamp for the Seahawks. We'll be breaking down the quarterbacks. A couple big names back in action, sort of, for the Seahawks. At least had their uniforms on, watching today's practice. And, of course, some shakeups on the offensive and defensive line. A lot to talk about, a lot for us to break down, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. In a bit of a surprise development, when the Seahawks hit the field today for their first mandatory minicamp, they were missing one of their biggest stars, DK Metcalf, staying in Southern California to continue his rehab after foot surgery. Obviously needs a new contract entering the final year of his rookie deal, so he's choosing to stay away. And Rob, this is a bit of an interesting development because he actually reported for the start of the offseason program in April. So it's odd that he would now change course and decide to, I guess you could call it a holdout. I'm hesitant to use that word with a mandatory minicamp, but he chooses to stay away now when he is subject to fines, which he would not have been when he reported for the first phase on April 18th. So let the speculation begin, I suppose. Oh yeah, exactly. That, that I think that's the perfect way of describing. It. Let the speculation begin. Um, at the thing, at the same time, I think it's a strategic move by DK Metcalf um, and, and his agent. I mean, I think that they are just trying to send a message here that uh, you know this is a negotiation. Um, as you mentioned, I mean, DK Metcalf was there in April. Um, I think kind of put his best foot forward, but at the same time, he of course is negotiating for that second uh, contract, and, and they are looking to kind of flex a little bit and just say, hey, if you're not going to give us that that big deal that we've seen guys like Devontae Adams and Tyree Kill, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, uh, re- receive over the last couple of months, then, then we are not just going to loyally show up for nothing. Um, especially again, as you mentioned, that he is recovering from the foot injury and, and the foot surgery. And, and so because of that, I don't think it's a big, I don't think it's a huge deal. But I don't think it's nothing either. I think that this is something that uh, the Seahawks absolutely um, have to acknowledge. And uh, I think it's going to be a little bit of a kind of a kick in the butt 
to hopefully get the negotiation process going for the Seahawks and Metcalf because clearly he is one of those face of the franchise guys. He is a guy that he's just the, 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 the price of doing business anymore when you have a, a wide receiver at his age, still just 24 years old, has set the, the Seahawks franchise records for the most receiving yards coming off the a season a year ago where he had 12 touchdowns, his career high. I think that he is in a in a, a excellent position <clears throat> to negotiate, and I think that's exactly what he's doing. Yeah, I think this is the only leverage play that he's going to be able to make because you aren't seeing near as many players that are holding out in training camp. We saw the hold-ins last year with Jamal Adams and Dwayne Brown. Certainly DK Metcalf could do that if he doesn't have a new deal when we get to late July and players report. I guess it's just strange to me, though, because typically if a player is going to take this strategy, they would have just started it in April when the offseason program starts. So like I said, it's just kind of a bizarre turn of events. But again, these situations are always fluid. And going back to what I mentioned, because the CBA says that teams can make minicamp mandatory, they have the ability to find players. And that is something that is going to be a topic of discussion the next couple of days, because if Metcalf does not attend any of these three practices which it's looking like that's going to be the case I don't know why he would miss Tuesday and then show up on Wednesday and Thursday maybe that is what will end up happening we've seen crazier things but if he misses all three days he can be fined up to $90,000 almost $90,000 it's 88,000 something but that is a large chunk of change especially for a guy like DK Metcalf who is a second round pick so he doesn't have a massive first round contract he hasn't signed his extension yet but He's thinking the money he's going to be bringing in this next contract, that is going to be pocket change with the new contract he's going to get. So it may be worth it. There's a little bit of risk when players make these moves, but I'm with you. I think that this is not something you can completely ignore, but I'm also not going to sit here and say, oh boy, this is a huge red flag for the Seahawks and DK Metcalf. It is June 7th. DK Metcalf is coming off of the foot surgery. He wouldn't be doing anything out there these three days anyway. I would be surprised if the Seahawks are going to pursue fine money. Now, I have been told from sources with knowledge of the situation, this was not an excuse to absence. So I guess it's possible they could do that. But it, they have in the past with guys like Marshawn Lynch, who didn't show up for mandatory events in the offseason. They've kind of let that slide by. It happens with star players. So I would expect that's probably what's going to happen here. But until he has that contract in tow, until they have agreed to terms, this is going to be a story that's going to continue to become a bigger headline grabber here in coming weeks. If they get to training camp and he hasn't got a new contract and doesn't show up, then things truly do get interesting. I think right now, though, this it's something, but it's not something that I would be I would not be very alarmed by it, at least at this point. I expect both sides are going to be working hard and diligently to get this deal done. They're both motivated to get it done. And so I think you've got six weeks, seven weeks, pretty big window to get this contract signed. If we get to training camp and it hasn't been done yet, then we can maybe start to escalate the panic meter a little bit. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Um, I think that 
we have seen Seattle make a lot of moves during this time, make a lot of their, the, you know, the, the contract negotiations and, and being able to re-sign some of their players, um, you know, during this time of the year. So that, that's kind of, that's expected. Um, and again, just the exorbitant amount of money that wide receivers are receiving right now. I think that it is going to be kind of a tough pill to swallow for, for the Seahawks at this point. Um, I, I would say this. I, I thought that it was interesting that the initial news, at least that I saw, and that I think that many others saw, was a report by Ian Rappaport and the NFL yep. uh, NFL Network that Metcalf wasn't there. Not the local media who was there, yourself included, of course, who was there at the VMAC and, and saw the players kind of filing in and you know, kind of tapping the. Uh, the ceiling as they walked out to practice and let's get it going and all that kind of stuff. You don't see number 14. And then there's a whole bunch of Seattle beat reporters, you know, tweeting out or reporting number 14 isn't there. The fact that it was Ian Rappaport um, who reported this to me suggests that somebody higher up in Seattle's organization, because I assume Ian Rappaport was not there at VMAX standing alongside of you. No. Yeah. And so to me, that suggested somebody in the Seahawks building or perhaps DK Metcalf's agent. And this is just pure, uh, you know, just speculation of my point. But I wonder if if there were some surprises that Metcalf was not there. And that's why this did become the big story that it did, that it was reported by by who that it was. And so, as I said before, I don't think that it's a massive story. I don't think that everybody should be kind of, you know, those who think that DK Metcalf should be traded. I don't, I don't think that this is ammunition to that suggestion at the same time. I don't think it's nothing. I think that the DK Metcalf should have been there. If you're going to proclaim yourself as a leader of this franchise, the way that he has a little bit, then I think that you should be there. But at the same time, if the Seahawks are not giving him any type of, of guaranteed money. And I think that is absolutely what Metcalf and, uh, you know, and, and his parties are are likely going to be asking for it, given again, the huge contracts, everybody else at that position who have had the success that he has, have been clamoring for and getting, then I, I think that it's, it's interesting. And, and so I think that this is a story that is something that could absolutely explode. Uh, on Seattle. And, and so I, I think it's going to be a fascinating story, perhaps even one that is going to rival the big quarterback, uh, you know, competition um, and, and all of the transition that we're going to be seeing on defense, all of the transition we're going to be seeing along the offensive line with this club. I think that it is going to be a story that we absolutely have to watch over the entire summer. This, this game, this sport, it's a business. You and I both know that everybody that follows the game knows that. So I can understand a player like Metcalf, especially when they're a second-round pick, waiting things out to get that contract. There's no rush to get him back on the field because he is coming back from a surgery. So I'm leaning more towards the lower end of the spectrum in terms of how much panic fans should have. I agree with you that it should be listed as something because you know he was here a few weeks ago, so it's kind of bizarre that it's playing out this way. But at the same time, I think the Seahawks are going to want to avoid unnecessary drama. So I don't think there's going to be a fine here, most likely. And I think they're going to be continuing to try to hammer out a new deal. And I still think it's going to happen, at least by the start of training camp, which has been the hot spot for John Schneider in his front office to get players re-signed. We saw it last year with Jamal Adams a few days into training camp. So I don't think fans should be panicking. I expect this deal is going to get done. As for a couple of the other players that are coming off of injuries that weren't here for the start of OTAs, well, most of them were in attendance 
for Tuesday's first minicamp practice. Among them, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs. We're going to be talking about their return to the Seahawks practice field and what they had to say about the defense coming up here in the second quarter. At BlueDial.com, you can celebrate all of life's special moments from creating the custom engagement ring of her dreams to gifting a classic and timeless jewelry piece, all at prices you won't find in a traditional jeweler. Whether you're ready to pop the question or you're celebrating a milestone moment, find jewelry as unique as her with the modern convenience of online shopping at BlueNile.com. Build the engagement ring of her dreams or celebrate life's special moments with fine jewelry. No matter what you're looking for, Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7. Make your moment sparkle with jewelry from BlueNile.com and Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off purchases of $500 or more. This podcast exclusive includes engagement. Use the code LOCKEDON. Every order is insured, ships free, and it arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. This episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts in their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30, 50, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and they have reliably low prices for every single customer. They get everything you could possibly want, brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs. Visit rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, Fox? And then we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rock Auto. Com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast today edition with your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined once again by Rob Rangit, a nice little mini vacation from the Locked On Seahawks podcast. As always, we greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We have an important favor to ask all of you listening to the show today. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcast. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It doesn't take very long, and everyone that completes the survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thank you for your help. All right, Rob, the Seahawks moving into the final phase of their offseason program. Mandatory minicamp kicking off at the VMAC today. And as expected, there were some familiar faces. DK Metcalf was obviously not one of them, but there were some familiar faces that were back in uniform for the Seahawks that had not been at OTAs. A few of them were guys like Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson, Shelby Harris, who were veterans that weren't injured, weren't coming back from surgery, but they were veterans. They just chose to stay away and work out on their own. They were back in practice. They were involved in the drills, all those things. But most notably, at the safety spot, Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, who were coming off of surgeries, they were back in uniform. They participated in the walkthrough. They were observers on the sidelines for the actual practice session. So not quite all the way back yet, but certainly – Good news for the Seahawks to see both of them out in the field playing in a defensive scheme that it sounds like both of them are going to be very comfortable playing in. 
Yeah, I again, I, I 100% agree. I think that, uh, you know, well, certainly Quadra Diggs agrees. I mean, as he said, I mean, in his first three seasons in the NFL with the Detroit Lions, this was exactly the type of scheme uh, that, that he was playing with. Um, and then the same thing with Jamal Adams, had three different defensive coordinators during his time at LSU, some very, very good ones at that. Um, and so his experience in multiple schemes, I think, is one of the reasons why Seattle decided to make the transition that they are doing um, this season. So I, I think to me, it, it kind of uh, allows us to kind of go back to our previous conversation about DK Metcalf. If Jamal Adams and Quandra Diggs, both of whom are, of course, coming off of their own surgeries, if they're there, even though they're not participating, but if they are there, then the why wasn't Metcalf? And so that, again, I think is going to be a little bit of the conversation here. But it was... The comments that both Quandre Diggs and uh, Jamal Adams had after practice that I thought was the most interesting about it. And I, I think that I'll just start off here with, with Quandre Diggs and just, you can just see the man's intensity. You, you can see his pride. You can see the fact that, you know, he was very proud to point out the fact that he is on pace to be able to come back from the surgery that, that he was forced to endure after suffering the, the injury that he did in the final regular season game that, that he corrected reporters who, uh, you know, thought that that he had had surgery in Arizona instead it was in Green Bay with quote unquote the best foot doctor in the world uh you know and, and the fact that again that he is on pace to be able to come back uh if not during training camp then certainly by Seattle's regular season opener Jamal Adams uh you know kind of just it, I guess peeling back the curtain a little bit so to speak, to kind of just say, hey, you know, the all of those questions about his ball skills, all those questions about his toughness, you can just kind of throw those things out the window when you recognize that he had two fingers who were literally fused, that he cannot make a fist. He cannot extend his hand all the way out the way that most of us could. So if you want to question his toughness, then what the heck are you talking about? You want to question his ball skills? Imagine if you cannot catch a pass because your hands cannot extend or close the way that most of us can. And yet at the same time, to me, the most exciting thing about the conversation was just the, the duplicity that, that Seattle is going to be able to show at the safety position. It's not going to be any more of what we saw a year ago where you saw Jamal Adams creep to the line of scrimmage. You saw Quandre Diggs creep back towards the back end. And it was very, very obvious who might be rushing, who would be playing back in coverage, the excitement that Diggs and Adams both kind of, uh, you know, just portrayed in, in their press conference today. I think it's going to make Seattle's defense that much more difficult to identify at the line of scrimmage and then much more uh, likely to result in Seattle's defense, especially their safeties, being able to create some big plays this year. And none of that really should surprise us because as we've been talking about this Vic Fangio-style defense, the Seahawks are going to be playing more 3-4 looks, more middle-of-the-field open coverages, more match coverages. We have been anticipating that this was going to be a multiple defense where your safeties were going to be more interchangeable. And the Seahawks did some of that last year. And I've talked about this. I think Jamal Adams, before his shoulder injury that ended his season in Week 13, I thought for about four or five games was playing some of his best football because the Seahawks were changing up their coverages to better suit him. They weren't as predictable with what they were doing with these two guys. And you could tell how excited, how genuinely excited that Quandre Diggs is about being able to move all over the place. He is a great free safety 
dropping back in that traditional center field sense. But this is a guy at his size, 5'9", 195 pounds, not a big guy. He'll come up and he'll smack you. He loves to play a physical brand of football. He's played some slot corner. He's played some outside corner in the past. He likes to occasionally play in the box. This is going to allow him to be able to do that. And maybe the thing that I found most fascinating, I'll get back to this in a second. I have to say this about Jamal Adams. With the fingers, as you mentioned, that is that is one heck of a revelation that he had to go through that because he told reporters today that he was constantly dislocating those two fingers. Can you imagine having that happen over and over and over again and trying to tackle guys, trying to make plays in the football with those mangled fingers? Yeah, he's in a situation now where with those fingers being fused, he can't make a full fist. He can't fully extend those fingers, but he's in a much better position now than what he was before having this operation. He says he can do everything now. He expects to be ready for training camp. So anyone questioning his toughness, as you mentioned, has no foot to stand on. I mean, that's remarkable. He was able to play through that, and he was playing with a bad shoulder, basically playing with one arm, as he mentioned, for two seasons. So this guy has gutted things out. You can't question the toughness. And I think the ball skills are going to come now with those fingers being repaired. Obviously, they're never going to be perfect now because of the injuries he's had. But anyway, I digress. Going back to looking at the defense, I think the thing that stood out to me the most from these two guys' comments today, when I asked about that multiplicity and how it impacts pre-snap play, Diggs said the biggest misconception is that this is going to mean, you know, hey, we're going to be disguising every single play. We're going to be all over the place. No. Instead, it's going to be more like what Sean McVay's offense has been known for, where they have very similar looking dressing, but they're going to do a lot of different things after the snap. They can play a number of different coverages. They can do a lot of different things with their safeties, move them around. And that goes into that lack of predictability, something the Seahawks have not had enough of in the back half of their defense over the years. They got away with it for a long time with the Legion of Boom. Changing personnel, though, that was no longer the case. The league had caught up. So, yes, this was the adjustment that absolutely had to be made. And having two guys that are familiar with this system, going back to college or the NFL, Adams played for Dave Aranda at LSU, played for a couple other coaches that ran similar systems. Diggs early in his career at the Lions, as you mentioned, these guys are well-versed in what they are going to be doing in this defense. I've been saying it since they made the promotion of Clint Hurt and brought in Sean Desai. I just love the fit of the coaches with the safeties that they've got. And I think they can maximize the talent of these two Pro Bowl slash All-Pro players. And I agree with Quandre Diggs. He should be in All-Pro discussion. He will have a chance to do that in 2022. Yeah, he will. Uh, you know, And again, I just love the competitiveness. I mean, the fact that he is, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, criticizing his critics, so to speak, that uh, that you know he does want that that all pro recognition, and he does deserve it. You were absolutely right. I mean, the versatility, the ball skills that he had. You know, I thought it was a fun little question at the end of his press conference. It said, "You know, are you the shortest or the, the least tall uh, of the defensive backs?" And he kind of came back with a little quip that, "Well, that may be true, but I have the best hands of the defensive backs, and that's been proven true uh, throughout his career." Not the only- Drop the yeah, mic. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, and that's exactly what you want from a leader like that. Um, you know, and uh, again, just the, the competitiveness that he showed. I mean, you know, there, there was a question about Sean Desai and Carl Scott and that, uh, you know, Quandre Diggs, uh, again, taking his own words here, that he's got his people in the league. I mean, he's been playing the NFL for eight years, you know, so he's got a lot of friends 
who are players themselves, are coaches themselves, or scouts themselves. And, and so he was kind of doing his own homework to see who is this Carl Scott guy, who is the Sean Desai. And I think that the again, just the versatility that Seattle's defense should be able to demonstrate this upcoming season, I think should be really exciting because it's not just the fact that that Seattle is going to have a more creative, more unpredictable defense. It's the fact that they've got the horses to be able to pull it off. Um, and two of the absolute best safeties in all of the NFL and, and a couple of ball hawking corners, including a couple of young guys um, that, that Seattle, I think, should be pretty excited about and, and improve pass rush. Um, and so to me, that that is one of the most exciting things about it. And you, you kind of mentioned, you know, some of the defensive coordinators that, that Jamal Adams had. And Dave Aranda, of course, is, you know, is kind of well known for his duplicity and now is the head coach of the uh, at Baylor. But, uh, you know, I, I think back to John Chavis. I mean, he was for a long time was considered one of the absolutely elite defensive coordinators in, in all of college football. And he just did such a great job of of that. Uh, you know, Kevin Steele, of course, with LSU as well. And then going back to Quandre Diggs and what he was able to do with all the different defensive minds that, that he uh, played with at Texas, at Detroit, and obviously here in Seattle. I, I just think that you're talking about two veterans. We're, we're going to spend, and especially with a guy like me, you know, who loves the NFL draft, and it's so much about it is projecting what these players could do with Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. You don't have to project anything. You've already, the proof is in the pudding. These guys are pro bowlers already. And now you have a system that actually kind of, you know, fits in with their individual and collective talents even better. I think that the best is yet to come for Seattle safeties. And I would already say that they are the best safety tandem in the NFL. So I think that is one of the absolute strengths of Seattle's roster and giving the, the passing games that we're seeing in the NFL, I think that's a heck of a way to build your team. We'll see how the progress goes for these two guys. They're not going to be doing anything over the next couple of days, aside from walkthroughs, not going to be participating in the mandatory minicamp practices on the field. But it looks really promising for both of them to be ready to go when training camp opens the end of July. That is great news for Clint Hurt, the rest of his defensive staff, because I agree with you. I think the chance of these guys fulfilling their full potential playing together, it's there with the coaching staff the Seahawks have assembled, with the personnel they've put around them up front at linebacker. As I've said time and time again, I think this defense has the upside to be a top 10 group, and the anchors of that team will be their safeties because these two guys are game changers and this is a scheme that fits them well. Continuing to talk today's mini camp opener, we're going to switch to the offensive side of the football, some takeaways at quarterback, offensive line, and a receiver that continues to stand out when we return. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, news and odds, including this year's basketball championship matchup the NHL Hockey Conference Finals, Major League Baseball, and of course, all the latest fighting news from MMA and UFC to boxing. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, including live betting, esports, and more. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen 
five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be dark this time of year, but the NFL truly never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get your insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked On NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. The Seahawks kicking off the final stage of their offseason program today at the VMAC, the first mandatory minicamp practice. Most of the players that were expected to be back returned, at least were there as spectators like Jamal Adams, Quandra Diggs. Some of them, like Quentin Jefferson, Al Woods, were actually participating back in action. Let's talk the offensive side of the football from today's minicamp. Obviously, the big headline on defense was getting Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams back on the field. Trey Brown and Marquise Blair also out there as observers. They're hoping to have all four of those players for the start of training camp. But on offense, there were some things actually going on on the field that were interesting. And of course, Rob, we've got to start with a quarterback position. This is going to be the competition that we talk about time and time again for the next several months because nobody knows who the starting quarterback is going to be. That didn't change in today's practice, these OTAs and mini camps. You're not going to be determining your starting quarterback in these practices, but they are still valuable looking at how players command the offense. And at least from a seven and on seven standpoint, right now, Geno Smith and Drew Locke, to me, look to be head to head right now. Geno Smith's obviously got an advantage knowing the offense better, but Drew Locke looks like he's got pretty good command of the offense to this stage. And this looks like it is setting up to be a very intriguing competition once we get to training camp in July. Yeah, I really think that this is going to be a fascinating competition. I think it's going to go back and forth, back and forth, because I, I am a fan of Geno Smith's game. I, I do agree with you that he does have just kind of an inherent uh, advantage because of the fact that he, of course, has greater familiarity in Shane Waldron's offense, having been here for a year in that scheme whereas Drew Locke obviously was with Denver Broncos. But at the same time, I think the youth, I think the arm strength, I think the athletic ability, I think all those things suggest that Drew Locke um, has the the upper hand in the long term this season. Um, And so that is why I am fascinated to see every single throw I possibly can of number two, um, in a Seattle uniform, that being, of course, Drew Locke, Geno Smith wearing number seven. Um, and so I, I'm fascinated. You were there, of course. You got an opportunity to kind of see the way that these two quarterbacks threw. I go back to what they did at the college level, but I, I've always seen a starting caliber quarterback in Drew Locke. And I really think that as he gains more experience in Seattle's offense, that his greater talent, at least in my opinion, is going to bear itself out. Both quarterbacks today had a few passes that got away from them. A couple of them that maybe would have been interceptions in a normal practice. Remember, these are controlled practices where guys aren't really supposed to be playing the football. So there were a few suspect throws. Now is the time to get those out of the way, of course. But Geno Smith went 12 for 15. Drew Locke went 8 for 11 and 7 on 7. Locke had the only touchdown between the two of them hitting Will Fuller, hitting, I always say Will Fuller, hitting Aaron Fuller in the middle of the field on a dig route in the end zone for six points. So both guys had a pretty efficient day throwing the football. There were, of course, quite a few dump downs, not a lot of big plays today. Last week, it felt like there were more of the explosive 20 plus yard play varieties. Didn't see very many of those today. Maybe the standout play of the day was a catch by Cody Thompson 
a back shoulder throw that was made by Geno Smith. That might have been the best throw I've seen Smith make during the offseason program so far. Locke's throw that he gunned it into Aaron Fuller was one of the best throws that I've seen him make up to this point. So you're seeing both these guys really embrace his competition already, and you can tell just how even things are with the way that they are distributing reps, mix, mixing and matching Tyler Lockett with both quarterbacks, mixing and matching Marquise Goodwin with both quarterbacks, Freddie Swain. There's no first or second team necessarily right now, but you can tell they are splitting up those reps as much as they can 50-50, and that's how I expect that this is going to be early on in training camp into the preseason until somebody starts to pull away. Right now, neither one of these guys pulling away. And I was just impressed with the way both guys were throwing the football, distributing today as much as you can be in seven on seven. We'll see where they really stand when there's actually a pass rush coming after them in a couple months. But right now, it seems like both guys are in command of the offense and they're throwing the football well, which is good news for the Seahawks. It absolutely is. And yeah, that, that's the been the kind of the buzz I've been getting from the, the guys I was texting throughout the day um, is that, yeah, it look, basically looks like you have two quarterbacks who are competing. There is not a true first team quarterback at this point. Uh, Drew Locke and, and Geno Smith are, are basically rotating at that spot. But that was not the case along the offensive line. I think that is one of the big things that we need to kind of talk about here. It does look like Abe Lucas, at least on Tuesday's practice that that he started out at the first team right tackle and I thought that that was not only fascinating that he kind of overtook Jake Curhan at that right tackle position but the fact that Jake Curhan was not the second team right tackle and in fact in, in fact that he slid inside uh to play guard and then it was Stone Forsyth at right tackle Greg Island at the left tackle position so all kinds of transition along the offensive line so while there has not been a great deal of movement at quarterback and you know and seeing who is going to be first team or second team there was some transition along the offensive line i think that is a story that bears watching as well and this is certainly one of those headlines you don't want to overreact to because, again, offensive linemen this time of year, you can't really evaluate. They're not blocking. You can look at their athleticism, and I can see that in Abe Lucas's game on the field. You can see the natural athlete that he is getting out of his stance, getting out in space, just the movement skills. You can see that with Charles Cross, too. So I want fans to understand that this isn't saying the job has been given to Abe Lucas already. They are going to be going back and forth. They're going to be switching things up. And you got to remember the guard position because Gabe Jackson is not practicing right now. He was there today, but he's not participating as a vet. He's just choosing not to do so. Maybe he had some work done in the offseason. We don't know that. That would be all speculative. But they don't have as much depth at the guard position right now. And Jay Curran played some games there for the Seahawks last year. So I don't want to put too much stock in that, in that being a big deal. But at the same time, this does suggest to me, and this should not be surprised. You just picked Abe Lucas 72nd overall, third round pick, second tackle that you picked in four picks. You obviously have high hopes for him. He's going to get every crack possible to win this starting job and wrangle it away from Jake Curhan. Curhan might have something to say about that, but this is how things are going to operate. Just like the quarterback position where they're going to be splitting up reps with first team, I think you're going to see that. You'll see a few practices where Curhan is the guy at right tackle. Then you'll see a few practices where Abraham Lucas is, or they will be mixing and matching them because this is, again, another competition that I truly view as a 50-50 because Curhan played well last year. 
Lucas has an incredibly high ceiling, but there are some things he's going to have to grow quickly into to be a starter. So this is another one that's developing into a really fun race to watch as we exit the offseason program and get closer to training camp. Yeah, and, and I, I'm happy that you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, the fact that Gabe Jackson was there. Um, at, at the same time, I also think that it's important to mention who kind of took over his spot, that starting right guard position, that being Phil Haynes. And you and I have talked a lot about Phil Haynes' upside as yep. well. So to me, that's an exciting one. Um, but it, I don't want to end our show without talking about wide receivers. Um, obviously, we talked about before that DK Metcalf was not there. Was there anyone who jumped out to you, Corbin, you being there, of course, that, that jumped out to you and really took advantage of the different opportunities that he was given with DK Metcalf and some of Seattle's other wide receivers being sidelined? Well, it's not rocket science to say that Tyler Lockett made some nice catches because that's what he does. Tyler Lockett's one of the best receivers in football, but the Seahawks had a lot of guys out at that position today. You mentioned Metcalf. We talked extensively about him not reporting for minicamp, but D. Eskridge was on the sideline today. I was told nothing significant, probably a rest day more than anything. But their two rookies, Bo Melton and Dariq Young, have now been out for almost two and a half weeks since their last time that they practiced. That's not a good situation. I don't know what the injury situation is for the two of them. Pete Carroll's going to be talking to the media in the next day or two, and we should get an idea where those two players are at. But they are not practicing. They're not participating. So you had four of your top receivers that weren't practicing, and that has opened up a ton of reps for Marquise Goodwin. He is the one that's been standing out to me, and it isn't even just the catches that he's making, Rob, because you expect a veteran to be able to come in and do that when you're playing non-contact controlled practices, but it's just the movement skills. You can tell that this guy, even though he's in his 30s now, he still has wheels. I don't know that he can run a 4-2-7 anymore, but he's not that much slower if he can't do that. He's got to be in the low four threes. The guy gets in and out of his breaks incredibly fast, has great quickness. You can see the savvy. Young guys are coming up to him asking questions, picking his brain, so he helps from that leadership standpoint. And the route running is crisp. He can play in the slot. He can play in the outside. He is a bubble player right now. There's no question about it with the talent they have at receiver. But I think right now what he's doing, you can't win a starting job during OTAs and minicamp, but you can win a roster spot. And I think Marquise Goodwin is doing everything possible right now to etch that idea into the Seahawks coaching staff's minds that, hey, this is a guy that's played in Kyle Shanahan's offense, which has a lot of similarities to what Shane Waldron's doing here. He's played in this type of scheme. He's played a lot of football. He has versatility. He's got freak speed, which you know Pete Carroll gets excited anytime he can add a guy like that. So, Marquise Goodwin, to me, has been the one that's made an immediate impression. You can just tell the other players at that position are gravitating to him. Even Tyler Lockett, those two are spending a lot of time together developing chemistry. So I think this has been a very good first couple of weeks for him, and it bodes well for his chances of making this football team. It really does. As you said, you can't make yourself a, a starter, but you can make yourself a, a guy that, 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 you know, makes the roster. I think you also can do the opposite. You can get yourself cut, uh, you know, during OTAs with your inability to process, uh, inability to show any type of positional versatility. The fact that Goodwin is showing that. And remember, this is a former Olympian that we're talking He's about. I mean, yeah. I mean, that has always been something that Pete Carroll has prioritized. So yeah, I, you know, kudos to you for, for spying out that Goodwin is making these types of plays and, and kudos to Goodwin for not just banking on 
on his athleticism, showing the mind and the heart that the Seattle, you know, frankly needs right now at the wide receiver position if they are going to be able to take that next step. And I've talked about this a few times, just kind of a closing note with this. A lot of times when you kick the tires on veterans like Goodwin that sign in early May or in mid-May, a lot of times when those signings are made, those players don't end up sticking around, at least in Seattle's history. A lot of those guys that get signed, aside from defensive tackles, that's been the one outlier. But most of the time, those players do not stick. Marquise Goodwin is making a run, though, to end that trend the way that he is performing right now. And I'm not saying he's going to make the team because this is a very crowded position and some of these young guys could rise to the occasion when training camp gets here and it really matters and get after it and make life tough on a player like Goodwin. But the fact that he's also played special teams is going to help him too once we get to July and August. So I think he's doing everything right right now to position himself to make this team. And that is that's just going to be a fun position group to watch just because there's so much talent, so many guys that I think are good enough to be on an NFL roster, and yet only five, maybe six of them at most, are going to be there when the Seahawks play the Broncos in September. So it's going to be a very fascinating competition to watch unfold over the next couple of months. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up tomorrow, we'll be having some observations from day two of Seahawks minicamp and continuing our position-by-position review with defensive tackles. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.